0: Welcome, welcome everyone to another episode on Talk to Talk with Your Girl. I need to love, to hate, to hate coming to you guys from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. God is good. He continues to bless me. My family is blessed. And well, another day above ground is always a blessing. And for your ear and for your support, Chimi, me, her, thanks you. And I appreciate you for coming over to my world and listening to another episode with me. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace long suffering gentleness goodness faith meekness temperance against such there is no law July 5 52223 King John version Yes And with that you don't go anywhere, I'll be right back on my topic why we marry the wrong person? You don't go anywhere. Be right back. Welcome back, you guys, and I hope everyone took the time to thank God for another blessed day, another blessed Sunday. And I pray that, your, that that happiness be at your door. May it knock early, stay late, and leave the gift of God's peace, love, joy, and good health to you behind. And with that being said, let's get into this. My segment is opinions of why we marry the wrong person. And it's just one of those things that we are afraid might happen to us. We go to so much length to avoid it, but yet we do it all the same. We still end up marrying the wrong person. And it's partly because we have a bewildering array of, array of problems that just comes when we try to get close to others. We seem normal only to those who don't know us that well. But in a wiser, more self-aware society than our own, a standard question on Any early dinner date would be, and how are you crazy? (laughs) Or are you crazy? Perhaps we have a a Latin tendency to just get furious when someone disagrees with us. Or we can get relaxed only when we are working. Or perhaps we're tricky about intimacy after sex. Or we clam up in response to humiliation. Nobody's perfect. There's no perfect person. The problem is that before marriage, we rarely dive into our complexities you know whenever casual relationships threaten to rev- reveals any flaws that we have we blame our partners and call it a day we're done it's over with and it's for our friends they really don't care enough to do the hard work of of enlightening us you know one of the privileges being on our own is therefore the sincere impression that we are really quite easy to live with but we're really not you know our partners are no more self-aware. Naturally, we make a, a stab at trying to understand them. And we visit our families. We look at the, at their photos. We meet their college friends. And all this is supposed to contribute to a sense that we've done our homework. You know? We haven't. We really haven't, you guys. Marriage ends up as a hopeful, that generous, that infinitely kind gamble taken by two people who don't really know each other yet, who are or who they are or who the other might be that's binding themselves to a future that they cannot conceive of and have carefully avoided trying to investigate. But for most of recorded history, people marry for logical reasons because his or her parcel of land adjoined yours or his, you know. His family, her family had a, a flourishing business. Her family or his family, his father was the, the migratory in town. Um, there was a castle to keep up or both sets of parents subscribed to the same interpretation of a holy text. And for such reasonable marriages, there flowed or flooded loneliness, infidelity, there's abuse, there's the hardness of heart and screams heard through the, the um, nursery doors. The marriage of reason was not, in hindsight though, reasonable at all. It was often expedited. It was narrowed-minded. It was that stubbornness and the exploitive, the exploitive of everything. That is why what has replaced it, the marriage of feeling, has largely been spared the need to account for itself. What matters in the marriage of feeling is that two people, man and woman, woman and man, man and man, woman and woman are drawn to each other by an overwhelming instinct and known in their hearts that this is right indeed like the most imprudent a marriage appears perhaps it's only about six months since they met one of them has no job or both are barely out of their teens the safer it can feel, you know what I mean but recklessly it taken as a a counterweight to all the errors of reasons, that catalyst of misery that accountants demand, the prestige of instinct is the traumatised, traumatised, traumatised traumatized reaction against too many centuries of unreasonable reasons. But we believe ourselves to be seeking happiness in marriage. It isn't that simple, though. I mean, we really seek—or shall I? Let me rephrase that. What we really seek is familiarity, which may well complicate any plans that we might have had for our happenings. You know, we start looking for or looking to recreate within our adult relationships the feelings that we knew so well as a child. The love most of us will have tasted early on was often confused with other more destructive dynamics. Feelings of wanting to help an adult who was out of control, of being deprived of a parent's warmth or scared of his anger, of not feeling secure enough to communicate our wishes. Now, how logical then that we should, as grown-ups, find ourselves rejecting certain candidates for marriage? Not because they are wrong, but because they are too right or too balanced or understanding or mature and reliable. And given that in our hearts, such righteousness feelings feel foreign to us, you know. We marry the wrong people because we don't associate being loved with feeling happy. We make mistakes too, you know, because we are so lonely. No one can be in our optimal frame of mind to choose a partner when remaining single feels unbearable. Seems It feels wrong. We have to be woely at peace with the prospect of many years of solitude in order to be appropriately picky otherwise we just risk loving and no longer being single rather more than we love the partner who spent us or spared us that fate or finally we married to make a nice feeling permanent sometimes we imagine that marriage will help us to bottle the joy we felt when the thought of proposing first came to us Or perhaps we were in Venice on the lagoon in a motorboat with the evening sun drawing glitter across the sea, chatting about aspects of our souls to one another. It just seemed to have grabs before. And with the prospect of dinner a little later, I mean, we married too much such sensations permanent, but failed to see that there was no solid connection between The feelings and the institution of marriage. Instead, marriage tends decisively to move us onto another, very different and more administrative plane, which perhaps unfolds in a suburban house with a long commute and maddening uh, children who kill the passion from which they emerge. The only ingredient in common is the partner, and that might have been the wrong ingredient for us. The good news, I find, is that it doesn't matter if we find we have married the wrong person or not. We mustn't abandon him or her, only the founding romantic idea upon which the Western understanding of marriage has been based the last 25 or 250 years. That's a perfect being, existence, who can meet all our needs and satisfy our every yearning. We need to swap the romantic view for a tragic. We need awareness that every human will frustrate, will probably anger, annoy, be maddened, and disappoint us. And we will, without any malice, do the same to them. Because we're human. There can be no end to our sense of emptiness and incompleteness. But none of this is unusual or grounds of divorce. I'm sorry. Choosing whom to commit ourselves to is just... It's just merely a case of identifying which particular variety of suffering we would most likely like to sacrifice ourselves for. Now, the the philosophy of pessimism, it offers a solution to a lot of distress about marriage, or shall I say around marriage. It might sound odd, but pessimism relieves the excessive imaginative pressure that our, our romantic culture places upon marriage. The failure of one particular partner to save us from our grief is not an argument against that person. And there's no sign that a union deserves to fail or be uh, upgraded. The person who is best suited to us is not the person who shares our every taste. He or she doesn't freaking exist. I'm sorry. But the person who could negotiate difference in taste intellectually, the person who's good at disagreement, Rather than some notional idea of perfect complementary, com- it, it's the capacity to tolerate difference with a generosity that is the true marker of the not overly wrong person. Compatibility is an achievement of love. It's, it must not be its precondition. Romanticism has been unhelpful to us. It is a harsh philosophy. It's made a lot of what we go through in marriage seem exceptional and appalling. We end up lonely and convinced that our union with its imperfections is not normal. And we need to learn how to accommodate ourselves to wrongness, striving always to change and to adapt or adopt a more forgiving, humorous and kindly perspective on its multiple examples in ourselves and in our partners. Because we marry the wrong person. Because we don't understand what marriage is. And we don't accept the fact that there's no perfect person just like there's no perfect marriage. And just because you see Larry and Yolanda blissfully happy doesn't mean that they didn't struggle. We get caught up in wanting this ideal romantic beautiful oh we had this amazing date night and we do date night four and five times a month and we get caught up in what people say their life is and we try that for ourselves no two relationships are the same no one relationships are the same and no one two persons are the same so stop looking for things to fill a marriage and stop looking for things to feel yourself. Feel your marriage with you, genuinely, you. All right, you guys. I'm gonna do a brief, and I do mean brief. Very, 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 very brief Q and I. My first question is. Coming from Mike the Mike Muscles. It say: do muscles shrink over time if I were to quit working out? Or do they stay there even if I never do even as small as a push-up? Um, <laughs> if, if you were to stop training... For a short six months, you will lose most of your fitness attributes. So, here's how it works, right? Suppose you are healthy and willing, and you engage in a three year program of powerlifting. We're just gonna say that for example. And you follow all the rules you're eating right, you're sleeping right, you train three to four times a week. You're making progress with all three primary powerlifting movements, right? And during this process of this somatic training, you lose plenty of body fat and body and build like 40 pounds of muscles, mass from head to toe. But at some point in this journey, you are at increased levels of hormones and your metabolism is an all time high. All system is a go. And then suppose you go dread live twice your body weight, squat, bench, significant numbers, you are athletic and fit. Suddenly you stop for whatever reason, right? Here's what happens: Nothing will happen for the first three weeks, nothing at all. But about two months into the interruption, you will lose some strength, and you may gain some body fat. And at this point, if you go back and begin again, you will come sore for the first few days, but you can catch up rapidly. So about six months, you will lose plenty of strength. You lose some muscle mass. You gain some body adipose. You still savage the deal it will be tough at first but you'll be fine but if you do 12 months later you are much weaker you've gained some weight noticeable to you and everyone else you have lost plenty of strength your flexibility your stamina your endurance your posture has changed your belly hanging out so say for instance you did a half of a year a year and a half later you are no longer fit deterioration of muscle mass has already underway you haven't realized it yet three years later most of the muscle mass gone due to a trophy you lose you look unfit you're out of shape you're prone to injuries your hormones are no longer playing any role in muscle production and fat loss you're no longer athletic and you're not indeed you're not fit now i suppose now you decide to go back training and eating properly you start from ground zero so yeah there you go hope it helps that's the best I could, that's the best I could do. Okay. Next question is from Rodney. I am 17 and my parents are kicking me out on my 18th birthday, which is in August. They want to make me homeless. What do I do? I don't have a driver's license or a bank account, but my parents say that I cannot find a job, but that I am free to do so once I leave. Um, I'm going to assume that your parents are not bluffing. I hope they are, but I, I, I I'm gonna assume that they're not. So I'm gonna tell you, apply for a driver's license or some type of official ID immediately. You'll need that. Put your home address on it, even if you are homeless. You can collect mail there. Um, recognize that your first job would have to be minimal, maybe packing bags at a supermarket or something like that. Maybe just cleaning floors after hours. But don't be concerned about the job. The most important thing is to begin to accumulate you some money, save money. Most of the money you make, once you have a $100, open a bank account. The bank officer will be very friendly and they will be delighted to open an account for you. But you can't do it with nothing. I'm just saying. Finding a job. Now, the best way for you to find a job is walk down the street and stop at the stores. Tell them you're looking for a job. If they don't have one, ask who they suggest. Talk to a local postman or something like that. Visit everywhere and probably somebody knows who is looking for help maybe it will be a job at a restaurant maybe washing dishes or greeting people if you're lucky being a waiter if the postman has no suggestion ask the postman whom the, whom he would suggest or she would suggest always do that be prepared for failure and job hunting and for frustration and just repeat this to yourself and just keep doing i only need one job is what you keep telling yourself i only need that one job get your very best clothes and start wearing them now the old cliche is true You get only one chance to make a first impression. So don't worry about being too dressed up. You ain't got to overdress. And to anyone who wants to hire you, feel free to explain your situation. Tell them that you're willing to do anything. Promise you'll be on time and reliable if they want. Commit to work for them for a year or six months or whatever they ask for. And in your job interview, be sure to listen. Pay attention to everything that that potential employer says. Odds are they have already rejected applicants who didn't listen to them. And what they want more than anything, almost anything, is an employee that can hear and follow the instructions. Now, whenever someone says, no, we're not hiring, ask that person if he knows someone who does need help. The process is called networking. That's what it's called. And if it's an extremely important skill, if um, a person says you should try person B, then when you approach person B, you start with, I spoke to person A, and he suggested you might be hiring. But never lie. If he asks you how you know him, A tell the truth maybe something like this i asked if he was hiring anyone and he said no but he thought maybe you were but never lie tell the truth people will hire you for your character not for your experience since you have none so they may ask how well you've done at school if you've done poorly say so but explain why explain that your that you promises to work hard at your job they may want to know why your parents threw you out whatever the reason is be sure to give not only their perspective your perspective, but give your parents perspective as well where to stay, look for a youth um, hostel or other organization that caters to people in your situation you'll discover honestly that you are not alone again it's called networking to find a place don't be ashamed to ask homeless man if he knows a good place for a bed. A good friend of mine was telling me about the time when her brother was kicked out of the home and he was, um, he, he was young, he was about your age, and um, she said that her brother supported himself by doing street magic, and eventually he got a job at a magic shop, eventually he earned a PhD in physics at um, UCLA, and there's a long story there, and someday you two will have a long story to tell too, but you are in charge of your life, so don't depend on luck, and you'll likely be lucky if you count on luck. You probably won't get any. But do think about your, your life. Plan on slow and steady. You have lots of time and you can do very well if you're persistent. After you feel you have mastered your first job, begin working on the second one. Remember that nothing will help as much as a good recommendation from your first employer. It will be slow, but you are not rebuilding your life. You are building it and it is worth the effort. And good luck and stay positive. Alrighty. That is my time, you guys. Stay true to yourself. Don't let anyone else' thoughts and opinion dictate who and what you think of yourself. Thank you for the questions. I appreciate them. They mean a lot to me. Let your family and friends know that you love them today because tomorrow is not promised to anyone. Remember to live, love, and laugh. Allow God to be God. Continue to send me questions. Continue, continue. I appreciate it. I thank you. I know it's been a minute since I've read any, but I do have them. I'm starting through them, and I'm getting to them. Um, You can go over to the She Said, He Said podcast with Anita and Mr. E. Subscribe there. Hit the support. Same here. iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, all the good things. Share. Share. Share the podcast to everyone. People you like, don't like, people you know, people you might not know. I don't care. Just share it. They may like what I have to hear. And remember... We married the wrong person because we're not marrying for the right reason. And until next time, peace.